1: Hey, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santopadre. Our special guest this week is making a return visit to the show. He was on one of our early episodes way back in 2014, but his career didn't suffer quite enough from that first appearance, so he's back to give it another shot. He's a comedian, musician, singer-songwriter, record producer, occasional actor, and voice artist, a New York Times best-selling author, the most successful best-selling comedy recording artist in history. This man has sold over 12 million albums, recorded more than 150 parody songs and original songs, and performed more than... 1,000 live shows and his work has earned him five Grammy Awards and millions of loyal fans all over the globe. His 2014 album Mandatory Fun* became the first comedy album to debut at number one on the Billboard Top 200 chart. And on the, the single war crimes, war crimes, <laughs> war crimes. War, well, he's a Nazi. That's one thing I've known about him. Weird owl is uh, is a Nazi. Yeah, and that's nothing, that's nothing first to put him down about. No. Okay. Oh God. Uh, okay, he's guilty of war crimes. But you gotta, you gotta consider—he was taking orders. And if you look on the History Channel, oh Lord, you will see we're now marching. <laughs> why don't we take? Why don't we take it back to work crimes, Gil? <laughs> Which we'll talk about. And and the single. Word crime. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> debuted, but I still say he's a Nazi. That's not. That's not to be argued with here. <laughs> and it debuted in the Billboard Top Forty, making him, along with Madonna, Michael Jackson, and you, two, one of only four artists to have had Top Forty singles in. Each of the last four decades. Uh, you've also seen them in popular movies like the Naked Gun trilogy, Spy Hard, Bill and Ted Face the Music, and the cult classic UHF, and on hit series like The Simpsons, 30 Rock, The Goldbergs, Bo Jack Horseman, and How I Met Your Mother. An American Dad, as well as the ingenious but canceled Saturday morning series The Weird Al Show, which guest starred some guy named Gilbert Ah, <laughs> uh, But wait, there's more. He's also the author of two best-selling children's books, as well as the co-author along with our friend Nathan Rabin, of a terrific illustrated book about his life and career called Weird Al the Book. Catchy title. (laughs) And in 2018, he received a well-deserved star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Frank and I are excited to welcome back to the show uh, one of the most accomplished satirists and one of the most beloved entertainers of the century. A man who says that when he's on his deathbed and looking back on his life, he'll probably wish he tweeted more. The great weird Al Yankovic. I, I can't
0: believe you memorized that whole thing. You read yes. your research, Gilbert. That was yeah. amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's all his research is impressive. Off the top of your head. That's crazy. It goes deep.
1: Wow. So, should I call you? Hair? Uh, weirdo?
0: <laughs> because of my copious amount of hair? Yes, yeah, by yeah. all <laughs> means.
2: <sighs> yeah, from war, from word crimes to war crimes may be Gilbert's biggest gaffe in an introduction we've had.
0: I, I don't like to talk about my war crimes. That's kind of water under the bridge for me.
1: Yeah, so, but basically, do you still keep in touch with Hitler? <laughs> and we, we've had a falling out. Yeah. Did, did you ever think of moving to Argentina and joining <laughs> all your friends? I own property there, but I've
2: never
0: actually moved there. No.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> Al, welcome back. It's been uh,
2: it's been seven years. Seven years since you, you took your last years. bout of abuse. Yeah. Wow. Oh God, that's we had scary. just started this show.
1: Are, yeah. you, are we finishing it now? Yeah, this is it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this <I'm, laughs> this sadly is it. The Alpha and the Omega,
2: the swan song. It was two thousand and fourteen. Mandatory fun had just come out. You were the biggest remember thing. In that. The, you were the biggest thing in the country. You decided to torpedo your career by coming on this podcast.
0: I figured I was getting too big. I have to go on Gilbert's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Put me in my place. Welcome back, seven years
1: thank later. Thank you, thank you. So so let me get one thing straight. You do song parodies,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and you're the guy that squints and talks in a loud annoying voice, right?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay, well, we're cool as, then. We're cool well, as long as we've straightened it out. On <laughs> so now we know who we are. Yes. <laughs> let's talk about blurred lines.
2: Okay. Uh, uh or or not war crimes, but let's talk about word crimes. All right, let's. Because Gilbert and I were on the phone before talk, and you know he takes no interest at all in the in the uh, in the guest's career. So this is a first too. We got on the phone, and he said to me, "I really love that word crimes," and we got into it, and it's it's a it's a brilliant piece of work. The oh, video too. I mean, it's the perfect marriage of video and 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 song and lyric. Well, for, for the video, I have to give all credit
0: to, to Jarrett Heather. He was the genius that uh, that did all that all by himself. I, I found him online. Uh, I saw some of his other work, and I, I I tracked him down, and I said, would you like to make my next video? And uh, he accepted immediately, and he spent like 500 hours, just him and his laptop, uh, doing that, uh, uh what is it called? Uh, kinetic typography or something like that.
2: It's impressive. Great work. Say, say his name again so we can give him two credit. Jarrett Heather. Jared it's very
1: very and, good and you're a big uh, George Carlin fan and that song sounded like the kind of thing George Carlin makes fun of too I had the same thought yeah pretty, pretty
0: much I, I I was trying to channel George there and in fact I I uh, I went and I I went to his estate and I tried to find some unpublished George Carlin material and basically I just ripped him off
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> And and there are two things in there that annoy the shit out of me, and I'm Just so two? glad they were in there. Yeah, <laughs> and one I share. But, well, one uh, both Frank and I are annoyed at, and that's uh, literally like I literally hit the ceiling. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: The abuse of that word, and the and the the, the mistaking literally for figuratively.
0: And, and now I I think diction, the dictionary or uh, Merriam-Webster, or somebody is, is trying to make literally into
2: figuratively. It's like, depressing. Because
0: yeah. of common usage, they're saying like, well, literally could mean figuratively. No, no, it can't. I yeah. <laughs> refuse to it, accept that. It's depressing.
1: Yeah, it's like when people say, I literally exploded. And I'll go, no, you didn't uh, <laughs> actually explode. Right. And, and the other thing that annoys me so much is when people say, um, "Oh God, what was the?" Uh, I I could care less. Uh huh. Because it's I couldn't care less. That means right. you you hit rock bottom as right. far as caring. I like to think that
0: people that say I could care less are saying it sort of ironically. You know, like I could care less, but yeah. but maybe but but if you're being literal about it, it should be I couldn't care less.
2: Is it yes. the only hit song in history about grammar? Al, it may be. I can't, I can't, I mean, we can talk about Schoolhouse Rock, but th- those weren't songs yeah. charted.
0: No, I I, uh, I think um, uh, Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I had that, th- one. That, that one. That yeah. one? And Whip It. And Whip It. And yeah. Word Crimes. Those but, are three.
2: A, a nice little jab at Prince in that one, too. In, in,
1: Not in we, we, <laughs> Word Crimes. We gotta get one thing out of the way. Where you got the name Weird Al? Well, this is an interesting story. Uh, Al is actually short for Alfred okay there you go gal. well that's it <laughs> <laughs> well now I could go home where are you right now
2: <laughs> by the way Gilbert brings up George Carlin who you were an enormous fan of as a kid sure and the story goes what was it was it takeoffs and put-ons or class clown it was an album that you that you completely... Transcribed.
0: It was a uh, FM and AM. Uh, FM, AM. First album that uh, that my I had my uh, parents buy for me, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I transcribed. I think the whole album on a uh, little manual typewriter because they didn't have lyric sheets with comedy albums.
1: Incredible. One time I was on a plane and I saw George Carlin sitting there, and I was you know I was excited to be on the same flight with him, and I sat down, and then I see him. He stands up, he looks at me, and walks over to me and i'm so excited and he says uh, look i got to read some stuff and write a few things uh, and then i'm going to take a nap so i can't talk to you and he went back to his <laughs> <laughs> so he ba- he went out of his way to tell me to go fuck myself <laughs> oh that george that was nice but of him but he did at the near the end of the flight he came over to me with a little piece of paper with his number on it and he said to me uh next time you're appearing on tv please let me know i want to see what's going on in that mind of yours and you That's never so called nice. him
2: you never reached out
1: no never of course never of course never called him i i have i also had jonathan winters number never called him. wow
2: now will you join me in shaming him for this behavior?
1: <laughs> and you're just reminding me
0: of like like how i behave on airplanes because anytime i take a flight anywhere i will go to every single person on the airplane and say no autographs no autographs." <laughs> and i look them dead in the eye
2: on the, on the carlin subject too i have to bring up another song of yours that reminded me of of a carlin routine is it a uh, mission statement that the uh yeah the, yeah the crosby stills and nash right right Pa- pastiche also uh, uh, about words about about nonsense words right. useless words something that was a bugaboo for george
0: yeah so that that song was all the uh, kind of uh... You know the, the buzzwords, all the the yeah. the, 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 the double speak and the the ridiculous things that just get thrown around in corporate meetings that make your eyes glaze over. But you know synergy and and uh, you know the, the paradigm shifts and things like that, which you know I I just wanted to write a song just using all those words in a way that it kind of makes sense, but yeah. not really, and then do it to a uh, music that sort of uh, is the antithesis of it, like you know the the '60s kind mm-hmm. of like anti corporate movement.
2: Great. I urge our listeners to find that one. And I never do this. We never get to listener questions this early in the show, but because we're talking about word crimes, and I, I love this question we got from a listener on Patreon. Uh, this is from Carla Haler. and she says, she's a teacher, believe it or not. She says, new students to our school often say, hey, have you ever heard of a guy named Weird Al? Uh, using word crimes to introduce grammar was truly a gift for classrooms like mine and makes a tedious subject a lot more fun. I added weasel-stomping day to my holiday mix a couple of years back, uh, and my students found that disturbing, but they love it, and a couple of them came to school with Viking helmets on. Uh, so this fifth-grade grader, this fifth grade teacher thanks you from the bottom of her heart. Keep up the good work.
0: Oh, that, that's so cool to hear. Every now and then on my Twitter feed, I'll see people saying, my teacher is playing Weird Al in class. Kill me now. <laughs>
2: I love that. <laughs> Act. Did you hear Act. from teachers though on educators after after word crimes? I, I did. A lot yeah, a lot of still. people
0: say they they made it part of their curriculum, which was a really cool thing.
2: Okay, now here's the deal. I'll try to
0: educate you.
1: Now, you go out of your way to uh, get permission from uh, singers before you do parodies. Yeah, from the original songwriter, sure. And and legally, I don't
0: necessarily have to, but I I just, uh, you know, it's just been my my policy not to step on people's toes and make sure they're cool with it. And and I respect other artists, and I just want to make sure that they can take a joke. And if they're offended by it, I'll just walk away.
2: Which leads me to a question about Charles Nelson Riley. Uh huh. (laughs) Because CNR is one of my favorite. I sent it to Gilbert. We couldn't get over it. What was the story of that? You called and asked for a blessing.
0: Yes, Uh, uh Charles Nelson Riley had, uh, of course, passed by the time I, I wrote the song. I, I met Charles Nelson Riley at an airport, at, at my airport terminal <laughs> once a long time Love ago, it. and he, he followed me on the Tonight Show back in 1985. But uh, but yeah, when we were getting permission for the song, I figured, well, I, I definitely don't want to do the song unless I have the blessing of of his estate and uh so i, I talked to uh, to charles nelson riley's longtime partner and said i want to do the song uh about charles nelson riley is that okay with you and and he was a little hesitant and he said well you know uh, tr- uh, charles w- didn't like when Ad- adam baldwin did him on saturday night live oh alec baldwin you? Yeah. A- a- alex sorry alec baldwin yeah. made him made him sound um, like like a sissy you know and 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 so he said like you can do the song but just don't make him don't make him sound like a sissy. And I said, no, no problem at all. <laughs> We're not going that direction. He's going to be like, you know, uh, Chuck Norris. He's going to be like the complete opposite.
2: Rips your heart out through your chest and shows it to you. Right. Brilliant. What What? did you get feedback after that? Once, once the family or the estate saw the result?
0: I didn't. But if you ever have them on your show, please ask. I'd love to I know. know.
2: <laughs> he did an interesting one man show in LA. Charles Nelson Riley, which I got to see. So
0: I saw the movie. Uh, yeah, uh, it was fascinating. Okay. Amazing. He really did, in fact, have an amazing
1: life. Yeah, he truly did. You were trying to get permission from Izzy Azalea. And, Azalea? Uh, uh, Izzy Azalea? Who's Izzy Azalea?
2: Is she a war criminal? Yes, yes. <laughs> she was... Uh, <laughs>
1: she <laughs> I, uh, Iggy, I think, right? Iggy Azalea? Iggy. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Von Von Azalea. Uh, famous famous war criminal singing she was a singing war criminal oh, God. and uh, and her, uh, her P- PR people were getting in your way at every chance
0: Oh, it, it was a nightmare. I was trying to get permission for uh, her, uh, her, her, her song, uh, Fancy, which my song was handy about being a handyman. And, and it was the last song I'd written for uh, the Mandatory Fun album. And we were getting down to the deadline. Like, if I don't record the song by a certain date, it's going to blow the whole album release. We have all these interviews set up. I mean, it would just completely uh, ruin the schedule. And and nobody was returning their phone calls. People weren't dealing with it. Uh, and finally, I just i stalked her basically i tracked her down i i saw that she was doing a concert i think in denver colorado so i bought plane tickets i flew out to denver i went to her show i hung out backstage and i was like i can i, I talked to, to her road manager said can i talk to iggy azalea and and i i want to find out if she'll let me do the song and and they said no she's you know she's really busy you know she'll be in london next month you can see her in london like no, I'm I'm here. It'll take thirty seconds. I'd really love to talk to her. And they said, No, I'm I'm sorry, we can't let you do that. So I thought, Okay, well, the album's not coming out. That's it. I'm done. And I just thought, you know, YOLO, as the kids say. Uh-huh. And so uh, I, so I would so I, I hung out in the wings of her show, watching her do this big, amazing outdoor concert. And literally, literally, as she was walking off the stage, before she even got backstage, I jumped in her face and said. Iggy, hi. It's Weird Al Yankovic. Like, hey, I want to do a parody of your song, and I just want to know if it's okay with you. And she looked at me like a deer in headlights, which is the normal <laughs> response. <laughs> and and she said, uh, "Well, I I would I would need to see the lyrics." And I said, "I just happen to have them right here." And I pulled them out of my pocket, and she looks at them and. By now, a crowd is gathering, so there's witnesses. And I think there was even a TMZ camera involved. And she said, uh, you, you, she looks fine to me. And I said, thank you very much. And I got back on a plane and went back to LA and finished the album.
2: Wow. Wow. Did Izzy have a reaction? Izzy? Izzy? Is Izzy? Izzy?
1: <laughs> I not from Izzy at all. Perhaps this for Izzy. Did Tom and Don Tizzy have that reaction?
0: Those were the old days, Gilbert.
2: You said you're on the record as saying it's no fun for you. You don't actually have to go to all this trouble, but you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. It's, it's more fun and more gratifying for you if they're in on the joke. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's, That's,
2: you, you want it to be kind of a group experience in that way.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not really not trying to, you know, make fun of anybody per se. I'm, I'm not trying to make them look bad. I certainly and uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's better for me if, if they if the artists get a kick out of it as
2: well. Right. That's one of your rules of parody writing, right? To tickle the ribs, no punch in the face. There you go. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and who were some of your earliest influences as far as song parodies went? Oh well, uh, we're talking about people I
0: heard on the Doctor Mano show, and before that, like uh, Alan Sherman, Stan Freberg, uh, Tom Lehrer, Spike Jones, people like that.
1: And, could and go on, uh, Shell Silverstein. Yeah. Silverstein, absolutely. We yeah. talk
2: about him a lot on this show.
1: Now, Alan Sherman, uh, he he had a strange life. I think yeah. after he, uh, what what was happening with Alan Sherman? I, mean, I, I I
0: read I read his uh, biography. Yeah, he had a, a interesting and strange and ultimately very sad life. He was the last person before me to have a number one comedy album. That was in the early '60s. And in fact, he had three number one albums. I mean, not comedy albums, three, like on the billboard charts, number one albums all within the span of like 18 months. So he was huge. He was people forget how of, big
2: he was
1: huge. He was selling at yeah. the Hollywood bowl. Uh,
2: they say JFK was singing his lyrics in the I, white house. I bet. I yeah. bet.
1: And I remember like at, at that weird time period when you'd have the Beatles and Bean Crosby all mixed together in the top. Right. Uh, it would be like you'd hear Bob Dylan and then after you'd hear Hello, Mother, Hello, Father. Right. Which
0: I, I miss that about top 40 radio because top 40 from like all genres. Yeah, and too. now everything is just so everybody listens to their own like sub genre and that's all they listen to. And I, I, I think I wish people, you know, I, I think that's what's wrong with our country is like we need to bring back top 40 radio so people can be exposed to more culture.
2: Used to be able to hear David Bowie and then Dicky Goodman. There you go, absolutely yeah. on That's... the same on the on WABC in New York in the same stage. So
1: what actually happened with Alan Sherman toward the end? The... He oh, it was sad. He um, he
0: started. Well, I mean, I could. <laughs> his personal life took a real uh, uh, down a, a nosedive. Uh, he he basically lost his family. Uh, he stopped being popular. He he uh, he started just repeating his material to the point where Johnny Carson was like, "Really, this bit again?" Uh, and and uh, he. he I, I think that, that I, I I forget if, if drugs or pills were entered into it, but certainly he had a a, a problem with with eating his pain as well. Uh, but he just didn't didn't handle success very well. And within a couple of years of being like the biggest thing in the country, he just w- you know had completely lost everything.
2: Him and Vaughn Meter together.
1: Yeah, that's another good example.
2: Yeah, they're similar. A little bit stories. quicker with Vaughn, probably. A
1: little quicker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Vaughn Meter, at least you could pinpoint. Uh, what killed his career?
2: Talk about your process, <laughs> Al, which you've talked about a lot. But t- you, I, I found this very interesting. You're talking about the zombie stage that you go into when you're when, <laughs> when and and the your wife is dealing with. What did you call it, the thousand mile stare? Yeah, a, a painstaking process for you. It will take you weeks and weeks and weeks. To put something together. I heard you say a thousand possibilities or a hundred possibilities. When you when you sit down, you narrow it down to one.
0: It's, it's just where I'm so focused on one thing that like I kind of blank out the rest of the world. And uh, I, in terms of creating, I, I'm more like, I'm more of a fan of Tesla than Edison. But I, my, my approach is more like Edison's because Tesla would be like, Let's let me figure out what would be the best thing to do and then do that. And Edison would be like, let me try 20,000 different options for a filament for a light bulb and see which one works. And I tend to like investigate every single possible option and then just kind of whittle it down until I've got like the one that I think is the best best way to go.
2: Because with White Nerdy, I heard you say you had enough material for a whole other song.
0: Oh, several songs, probably. Several songs. And I'd like to think that the released version is the best version of all of them. But I mean, I I didn't have any... I I did spend my entire life doing research for that song. So (laughs) I I had a lot lot to draw from. And... Madonna once gave you a piece of advice. She did. What did she say? Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: she gave us. Oh, she gave him. An, she gave him a song idea.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So that, as legend would have it, and I believe this is true, uh, Madonna was talking to a friend of hers in New York City one day. Just they were just walking down the street, and somehow my name came up. And Madonna just offhandedly said, "I wonder when Weird Al's going to do like a surgeon." And her friend happened to know a friend of my manager, and the old telephone game got back to me finally, and I was like, "Well." Not a bad idea, okay I'll I, thanks, Madonna. I think I will.
2: What did I hear you say too that uh oh, and this was interesting by the way two two guests that we've had on this show you reached out to to do parodies, Jimmy Webb and Tommy James
0: absolutely yeah
2: tell tell I, us about and we love two guys with great senses of humor, so i I assume they were they were on board from the from the beginning.
0: Tommy James, I actually oddly enough, I did two different Tommy James songs uh on the same album um. I I did a, a parody of uh, a Moni Moni called Alimony, and love I that did a parody of I think we're alone now called I think uh, I, I think I'm a clone now, because uh, he had huge, two huge cover versions of those, of those songs hitting in the late '80s, uh, and then Jimmy Webb I, I did a parody of a uh, uh, MacArthur Park called Jurassic Park, and uh, Jimmy got a big kick out of that. He sent me a big rubber uh, dinosaur mask <laughs> as a way of thanks, and oh, that's great. And once, once he played L.A., he did a big show, I think it was at the Roxy. And he, uh, he did, we did a bit where he started to play MacArthur Park on the piano. And he gives you the first line and he goes, I you know, I can't. I keep forgetting the words. So, Al, can you help me out here? And then he, he brings me out and I sing uh, Jurassic Park with him and the band, which was really... And the audience. Oh, so
2: he was, he was on board for the oh, whole totally, thing.
0: totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, he was great about it, absolutely.
2: Gilbert sang MacArthur Park with... Jimmy on this very podcast. Really, the whole and thing. We will we will send you a copy. No, he would only he was only game for one verse with Gilbert. Wow! But we'll send
1: it. And but I'm still pissed off at Jimmy Webb because he he was in they Ve- they offered him a job in Vegas after MacArthur Park to just play the piano and just play MacArthur Park. You don't have to sing it. Like in the and lobby. He, and it was like I think like it was more he, than one song they won. I I think they uh were going to give him like 40,000 a night or something like, and he turned it down. So I'm pissed off. Jimmy, if you're listening, I'm still pissed off.
0: <laughs> Would you do that? Would you sing uh MacArthur Park every night?
1: <laughs> I I sing MacArthur's Park every night and and I'd blow the uh manager of the casino. <laughs> For forty grand, <laughs> yeah,
2: it's a cheap Much right
1: less down. than that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it leads me to a question, Al. Do you do you have an urge in a case like that to to actually contact the artist and preview the song for them? Do you wait? You know, I, I've got to I've got to contact Elvis Costello and play the. What is it? You're so uh, I'm so sick of you. Or do you wait till the record make them wait till the record comes out?
0: Well, you you just mentioned uh, one of my my pastiches or style parodies. I don't actually get permission for those. Uh, maybe I should, but I, I just I, I hope I cross my fingers that the artist will have a good sense of humor and realize it's it's a tribute because I only do those kind of pastiches for for artists and groups that I that I really love. And mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of the song parodies. Um, i I don't write the whole song before approaching the artist because on the off chance they say no. That's a whole lot of wasted effort. Can imagine. Uh, so so basically i'll I'll come up with my idea. i'll I'll come up with an idea and think I could definitely write a song uh, with this concept. I think it'll be funny. And if, if the artist is, is, you know, is down with it, then I will spend the time and effort and, and make it happen. But I, I that happened a couple of times in the past where I was burned, uh, <laughs> by like writing the whole thing. They go, yeah, I'm not a parody person, really
1: live and learn. And, and it's, it's interesting how you say you don't want to really hurt people or insult them because it's like Jeff Ross says about the, uh, celebrity roast. We only roast the ones we love. Is that true, though? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, but it's it a sounds good like quote. showbiz bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great quote. That's all I care. I, about. I know all the comedians made fun of Trump because they love Trump, really. Yeah, to-
2: <laughs> <laughs> can't get enough of them. So I mean, when, but is it extra gratifying or extra satisfying when that you do get that feedback from the artist? Because oh, obviously, it's become you've been around so long, it's become a badge of honor to be parodied by Weird Al. Yeah, sat, I've, heard, I've heard. I've heard.
0: I've heard. Not not in every case, but I've heard uh, from a lot of, of uh, artists that that uh, really enjoyed the, uh, the the famous example that I always give is. is uh, who uh, I did a, a parody mm-hmm. of his song Ridden," which was white and white and nerdy. White and nerdy. And uh, and he came up to me at the Grammys on the red carpet the, one year when we were both nominated for whatever, and he had just won for Rap Song of the Year for Ryden. And he made a point of coming up to me and saying, you know, I want to thank you because I think that your parody made it undeniable that my song was the Rap Song of the Year. Which that he
1: didn't have to wow. do that. that was that was amazing. Yeah.
2: Wow. Nice compliment, So it's 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 nice when it works out that way. Yeah.
1: Do you feel a lot of singers, uh, their albums get better, like get more successful after you do a parody? In every case, Michael Jackson was nothing before me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> talk talk about Michael Jackson. You've told the story Should I? many times. Well, <laughs> I know you you retired the Michael. Have you? Is it you retired the Michael Jackson material from well, the, from the live performances? I, I
0: don't. Know. I, I did. I retired it on the last tour because okay. Michael had been controversial, and also, you know, yes. I figured I've been playing those songs for thirty years. I wanted to give right. it a rest, and right. the entire Michael Jackson fan base like went nuts, and and they they thought I was being. You know disrespectful or unappreciative or whatever and I, I totally appreciate everything michael ever did for me i mean my i would have probably a much different life you know had things gone the other way so I, i'm not saying it's a forever thing i just thought that like you know last tour i wanted to give it a rest and it, it was a little bit of a hot button topic and i just didn't want anybody to feel uncomfortable
2: understood will you at least tell gilbert about working with the chimp and the complete owl. Because oh, that's a that's a passion topic on this show. Yes.
1: It? <laughs> Do you know why chimps are so important uh, that I talk about it so much? In Sunset Boulevard, uh oh, it starts off Be careful, Al. with a funeral for her chimp. And 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 uh Wilder said to her, he goes, Now remember, you you were fucking the chimp. And and there's a rumor that uh <laughs> Uh, Rich women in Hollywood would buy chimps and train them to perform cunnilingus on them. How how do you train somebody to do that?
2: (laughs) Do not steal this idea for a song, (laughs) Al.
1: (laughs) We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal podcast after this.
2: Let's pivot and ask about working with Jerry Lewis on the Jerry Lewis, <laughs> on the Jerry Lewis telethon in 1992. This is, by the way, is one of those Eddie Schmidt questions. Right. So thank you, Eddie. Our mutual friend, Eddie Schmidt came at me with all kinds of weird, weird Al questions. And that was one of them. You did a medley. I know it's a million years ago,
0: 1992. Yep. I, I did whatever the Polka medley was at the time. I forget which one that would have been. but yeah, And it was like early. It was, I don't know when, but like six, seven o'clock in the morning which you know for for rock and roll hours that's the middle of the night uh and we we performed on this show um i think jerry introduced us but we never had any actual interaction
2: (laughs) beyond that oh you dodged the bullet
0: well yeah and uh, the first time i was on the same show with with jerry was comic relief which was 1986. read that that one gilbert the first one uh no yeah that that was not well, uh, managed in that it was basically, they, they had booked nine hours worth of a show for a two hour live show. Wow. It, it was just like, I don't know what they were thinking, but it was just crazy. And it's and kind of imploded. But I just remember during the sound check, Jerry, uh, you know, it was time for Jerry to sound check and he walked out on stage. It's just a sound check. And he's walking out on stage like he's expecting a standing ovation and, uh, he gets up to the mic and, uh. And uh, I know this is a podcast and you can't see this, but he's giving everybody direction like, okay, I want this shot here. Not here. Not here. Here. (laughs) He just like like, he starts directing the show. It's like, you know, there's a hundred acts and it's like all of a sudden it's like the Jerry Lewis show. Like, this this is how it's going to go, people. This is how
2: it's going to go. I love it. What about Robert Goulet? Because this podcast is is you know it's a tribute to to performers who are no longer with us in many ways. We love to talk about the old school guys. Robert Goulet, you put him through the Monty Python paces. You cut off yep. his hands. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, and, we, we had the we had the piano uh, uh cover come off on uh you don't act, love me anymore. cut and, off his hands, right?
2: Yeah. yeah. And uh, what was what was he? I mean, he he struck me as a guy, Gilbert. Don't you think that had a, that had a sense of humor?
1: Yes. Robert Goulet. He, he, yeah, he would have been like the perfect guest. For great this for this show, show. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was great in the video. I mean, he was in,
0: what, I think, the second Naked Gun movie. So, I mean, he had comedy that, chops. Right. He had a great sense of humor. And he was one of those guys that just had such kind of a serious straight-laced persona that when he played against that, it made it extra funny. That's sort of the whole Le- Leslie Nielsen school comedy. Um, and, and we stayed in contact. We uh, we I got a, a Christmas card from uh, Marbert from Goulet. And, oh, and very cool every single year uh of his life and I, i've had a, a full collection i think i spread them all out on the floor once and took a picture of it for instagram once They said yes you're cool but are you getting get a christmas card from robert Goulet every year cool
2: i love that that's cool what about uh what about joe franklin who also did this show you serenaded him yeah yeah way back and way back in the 80s i know i'm taking you back with this stuff
0: yeah, I, I I didn't grow grow up in, on uh, on the East Coast, but my manager uh, was a big fan of Joe Franklin, and he he insisted early on you got to go on the Joe Franklin show, and it was, I, I forget how many times I was on this show, but it was always just so surrealistic, uh, and then one one time we came on with me with my band, and we we uh, did this song about Joe Franklin which was really dumb, but we did it like like a doo-wop thing in four-part harmony. Joe Franklin, Joe Franklin. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Look yeah, it up. Can, I have to people sing it now. find it. But, but it was just, uh, and Joe listened to it, not really understanding what he was hearing, and you hear the crew in the background just just laughing their heads off.
1: And and Joe Franklin, the show, I mean, it would start at like 3 o'clock in the morning. It was very <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> and, I don't yeah. think it was and live, would, though. No. There would be no. a whole collage of photos in the beginning where it would be like, you know, him with Clark Gable and uh right. Jolson. And then when They're all photoshopped. Sh- yeah. Yes. Early, and then early days when of the shows when the show started it would be like, you know, some local lounge singer in a hotel. We've got the third grade Spelling Bee winner from Williamsport. <laughs> yes. And they try to combine it. They'd have like a house painter and a <laughs> singer. And they'd say, so if uh, if you were going to sing... Uh, uh, and you needed your house painted, uh, you could probably... <laughs> yeah, he'd, he'd
0: try to make segues. That, that's what you call synergy, you know, like yes. so can, So Kenny G, you ever try house painting? You ever... Uh...
2: <laughs> <laughs> he was on this show uh, right around the time you were in 20, oh, yeah? in 2014. Yeah, Gilbert and I had a strange experience. We went to his office, which was a disaster. It was like the Collier Brothers Oh my goodness, it's mansion. crazy, right? And he offered but, yeah. us an egg salad sandwich from the desk drawer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very disturbing. Oh my! Yeah, but but we love we loved him. And and it's like I I always wondered what became a, there must have been a few trillion dollars worth of stuff there.
2: Yeah, no one
0: knows
1: I, in the yeah. office. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it, it's like the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, archive.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> what about Dick? What about Dick Shawn? As long as I'm rolling out and Eddie oh. sent me, all all of these clips are online. By the way, you and Malcolm McDowell and Joe Franklin. And oh Jared my goodness. Lewis.
0: Yeah, Dick Sean, I, I, I worked with him, I think it was in 1986, on Amazing Stories, the mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg show. And that was one of my very first uh, acting roles. Maybe maybe my my first real one where it wasn't like, you know, a Weird Al production. Uh, and um, I, I, I was just kind of nervous because I'd never like, you know, really acted with like real actors and like hitting my mark and like, you know you know, being in a scene like that. And I just remember kind of being hypnotized because I'd be doing a scene with Dick Sean and in the back of my head, I'm like, Dick Sean's talking to me. He's looking me right in the eyes and he's talking to me. Like, <laughs> You know, it took me a while to kind of like get over that and just like actually be in the scene. And and by the way, d- during all this, my head looked like a giant head of lettuce because I'm like the, the cabbage man from yeah, outer space. Yeah, cabbage man, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm an extreme prosthetic makeup and in fact steven spielberg came to the set while we were shooting uh and and i think that's the first and only time i've ever met spielberg and and again i'm looking like a giant head of head of cabbage and you know we're having a conversation He was telling me about his, his son max and 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 i'm trying to you know <laughs> carry on it's just a casual conversation with the biggest director in the world while dressed as a head of cabbage
2: i think our pal james Karen was in that episode Gil. Oh, that's what our, that's wow. what our fans yes. are telling me.
1: Yeah, he was, he was a guest here, and he was terrific, James Caron. He was terrific so funny. great character actor. Yeah, he was what great.
2: A, what about Malcolm McDowell, who we had here a couple of months ago, and you, you have a nice couple of moments with him in Halloween, too? Yeah, that Rob was really Zombies. sweet.
0: That was, that was a last-minute thing, Rob Zombie— uh, called up like a couple days before uh, the shoot and uh, and via Chris Hardwick, who kind of set the whole thing up, uh, ha- had me fly out, to a, fly out to Atlanta and do a, a, a cameo shot in ho- uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, where it's basically a random late-night talk show guest appearance where I'm on as myself with Malcolm McDowell, who's, who's playing Dr. Loomis from the, the Halloween series. And I'm just supposed to be like the obnoxious version of myself. Uh, and Malcolm was great again that's one of those things where like I can't believe I'm like acting with Malcolm McDowell um and and when we're not shooting I mean it, it, just a very nice guy I just remember when people would come up to him and reference like clockwork orange his eyes would glaze over you could just see off like, the soul <laughs> in <just> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in fact my, my favorite thing was I got I got a picture of myself and Rob zombie uh and Malcolm McDowell and we We, you know, I I was positioned on one side and zombies on the other. And, and I, uh, I captioned it Malcolm in the middle. So that was my favorite (laughs) bit from the day.
2: He's a piece
1: of work. What, what I remember about Malcolm McDowell on this podcast was he had told us, we did a long interview. He told us now he has to go out to dinner. He has, uh, and, and, and to close the show, He's talking about working on Caligula with John Gilgood, mm-hmm. and he and Gilgood are looking at the screen of something they're filming, and they're both going, "What is that on the screen?" And they realize it was Helen Mirren's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert, this is a family show.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, well, they,
2: should have, they should have it
0: captioned so you know what's, what you're looking at. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, don't make people guess.
2: <laughs> that could be any sphincter. As long as we're as long as we're talking about surreal experiences, and I found two of these. More surreal experience, you get to decide making the Gump video with Ruth Buzzy and Pat Boone. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Or being on Wheel of Fortune with Little Richard and James Brown.
0: Oh, man, hard choice. Um, (laughs) Hard choice. I I think Wheel of Fortune was a bit more, I mean, Uh because I don't know that I would have done Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. In fact, my manager, you know, had called me up and said, hey, you got this offer to fly to Orlando do you know, Wheel of Fortune. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounds a little cheesy and he said well your your other contestants are are little richard and james brown And i said i am on the next plane there that's amazing (laughs) and and it was just as weird and surrealistic as you would have thought uh and then and then ruth buzzy and pat boone i mean oh my goodness both both and ruth buzzy like you know character in character oh my god And, (laughs) and you know and and at at that point she was nearly age appropriate, which is <laughs>
1: made it perfect. so so she was she was there with that giant purse that she <laughs> yes, used yes, yes. and then and then and then Pat
0: Boone, you know. Just making him do like, again, like it's like the Robert Goulet thing. I just a straight-laced guy making him do the craziest stuff. Like I had him like just gobbling an entire box of chocolate, just cramming it into his mouth as fast as he could. He's like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> you want another take? Let's do that. That's great. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you one quick Pat Boone story. I, I went to see Pat Boone perform, I forget what it was exactly. I think it might've been some kind of charity thing, but it was at the, at the Disney hall, the, the, the Gary building in downtown LA. Uh-huh. And, and Pat Boone came up to, uh, to do some kind of song. And I was sitting, I had good seats. I was like in the eighth row and he's singing the song. He gets like, into the, like halfway into the second verse and he, he locks eyes with me in the audience. He looks at me, and I'm looking at him, and he completely blanks out. He he, he completely his brain just went empty, and he he literally had to start over and do the song over again because because it totally threw off his concentration.
2: I love it. Chris Bly tells us, Gilbert, here that uh, in this episode, uh, Miss Stardust, directed by your old friend Toby Hooper, Gilbert. Mm-hmm. The one Al was talking about where he played the Cabbage Man. Also starred Rick, our, our friend Rick Overton, who did this show. Love Lorraine Rick Newman, great. who did this show. James Caron, Dick Sean, and Jack Carter. Now, I there you go.
0: Lorraine Newman, too. She was in that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's lovely. She's great. Here's a question from a fan in the UK, Jonathan Sloman. Since we now know Gilbert is a fan of the Ruddles, I didn't know that uh what is al's opinion of neil ennis and his parody work and did they ever meet
0: uh yeah i, I love the Ruddles i love neil ennis I, I saw neil perform live once at mccabe's guitar shop in santa monica california i went with emo phillips and we we hung out with uh, uh neil very shortly afterwards and yeah always a huge fan of his stuff uh i i and he was on my uh uh christmas card list for you know up until he passed and uh and
1: uh yeah always a big fan and uh, very cool guy
2: somebody we should have had on here Neil yeah
1: Anderson. he he i remember on the Ruddles he just captured like the feeling of beatles songs mm-hmm. that was the very so-
0: interesting so that was, that, that's why I've never done like a Beatles pastiche because if, the
2: Ruttles did it so well. Like, they did it
0: well. How, how are you going to compete with that? I mean, Neil just had it down. I mean, like an entire album of pitch-perfect Beatles parodies.
2: Somebody we talk about, we said uh, before when we started, uh, Shell Silverstein, who you, what, ran into randomly somewhere when you were doing... Uh, th- is this true that you tried to get him on your Saturday morning series? I
0: did, yeah. Uh, you know, again, one of my all-time heroes. And I had his uh, Freaking the Freaker's Ball and all, all his yeah, albums on as a talent. teenager. Huge uh, influence. And uh, and I wanted to get him on my ill-fated Saturday morning show from in the late
1: 90s on CBS and the, uh, the
2: one Gilbert sunk by being on. Yes, right. yeah. That one. I,
1: I was on the one where where they finally decided let's take this. Yeah, we've well, had enough. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he's he's already had Gilbert Gottfried on. It's time to get go from this there? show off.
2: <laughs> I but saw yeah. it, Gilbert. You're wearing wingtips. I saw that episode <laughs> online. I don't know why you're wearing wingtip shoes, yeah, but I
1: I remember doing that show because. You were, like, explaining to the children in the audience about having an imaginary friend. And I was playing your imaginary friend. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes if
0: I'm really quiet, I can actually hear my imaginary friend talking to me. Oh, Gilbert! (laughs) I'm right here! I'm right here! (laughs) (laughs) There's absolutely nothing wrong with having an imaginary friend. In fact... I still have an imaginary friend. I call him Gilbert.
1: That's my name. That's my name. Why wouldn't you call me Gilbert? That's my name. My name's Gilbert.
0: And even though Gilbert is imaginary, he's always there if I need someone to talk to or a shoulder to cry on.
1: I told you a thousand times, I'm not imaginary. I'm real. You see me? I'm real. Look, you want identification? Here, here, anything you want. You want a driver's license? You want ID? You want a birth certificate? Hey,
0: maybe we could say hello to Gilbert right now. Oh, Gilbert.
1: I'm here! I'm right here! I'm right in front of you!
0: If you could only hear what he's saying to me right now, he's such a joker.
1: Okay, that's it. I'm out of here, because you're a nutcase! And I, like, take out my wallet and show ID and <laughs> You did get to
2: work with Freeberg on that show, with one of your heroes, so, but so, not yeah, Shell. So-
0: I, I will say, I, I asked, I figured, okay, I've got a network TV show. I'm going to try to work with all my heroes. Uh, obviously, Alan Sherman had passed. Uh, Spike said was long gone. Right. But uh, I, I uh, approached Tom Lair, who, who um, you know, no surprise, he said no, just because he's been out of the, you know. He's a recluse. He's a recluse, absolutely. Yeah. Um, still one of my heroes and still with us, you. 93. You got to get, get him on your show for crying out loud.
2: I don't think he'd do it.
0: No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you got any pull, buddy. Yeah, who else? Uh, and, then, and Stan Freeberg was, you know, that was uh, the one that said yes. And, and he came on and he was amazing as the, uh, the network chief, uh, J.B. Toppersmith, right. uh, who was always giving me stupid network notes. And in fact, he, uh, his son Donovan Freeberg was on the show as well. Uh, Stan and Donovan uh, did the voices and actually were the puppets in, a, in like a, a weird puppet show segment. Uh, so it was great to be able to, to come to work every day and work with one of your all-time heroes. And Shell was sort of the one that got away because uh, I had approached, to, I, I saw him at Tower Records on the Sunset Strip back when that was still a record store. And he was going through the racks and I, I recognized him and I walked over and I said hi. And and uh, after I kind of gushed at him, I said, you know, I, I'm doing this Saturday morning show on CBS and, and I would love for you to just, you know, be in it, do, be a cast member, just anything you want to do. And he said, well, I don't want to be on camera. I, I don't really do that anymore. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But if you ever want like advice uh, or you want me to, you know, be, be, your, be your spiritual counselor or whatever, just, just you know, if, if you want my opinion on anything, feel free to get wow. get a hold of me and, and let me know. And it was the same thing that that you just had where it's was like, I never, t- I ne- like the Carlin thing, I, ne- I never took advantage of that. I never,
2: oh, never followed
1: bad. up on that. And now it's too late.
2: What a Renaissance man he was! Oh, amazing! Yeah, he really could and, do and, anything. I
1: remember he used to like just about every issue of Playboy would right. have an article. Yeah, Car- the cartoons Sims. and uh, and sometimes yes. yeah.
2: Let's mention another influence, Al, uh, who just passed—the great Frank Jacobs.
0: Yes, absolutely. So Frank Jacobs, uh, Mad Magazine, for, for magazine legend. for a thousand years. Uh, and was basically the, the, the song parody guy. Like, if, if there was a song parody in MAD, uh, chances are it was written by Frank. And, you know, I was a voracious, fanatical uh, reader of MAD Magazine when I was in my early teens, uh, and that really kind of shaped my comic sensibility to a large extent, and, and Frank Jacobs was a big part of that. Um, and I, I got to meet Frank for the first time Gosh, i I want to say maybe 20 years ago, it was like at a at Comic Con in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was going with some friends, and I said, "Notice Frank Jacobs is doing like uh, a seminar then. I thought, "Wow, that'd be really cool. I, I I hope I hope we can get in. I hope I can like wedge my way through the through the standing room only crowd at this huge arena where Frank Jacobs is talking." Uh, and I get there, and uh, he was talking in a classroom, and about twelve people had shown up. And I thought, this guy's a legend. He's an icon. He why, is. aren't, why isn't why aren't there a thousand people here? Uh, and it was just a very relaxed, you know, situation. We were all sitting in desks, like in a classroom, and 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 Frank was holding court, very casual. And every now and then, he'd look at me and say, he'd make a point, and then he'd look at me and say. You know what I'm talking about, all right? And I would go, "Yeah, Frank."
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, was just,
0: it, was just, it was just so cool. And and I had the honor of writing the forward to um yes. Frank Jacobs' book which came out a few years ago. So that was You said uh, a something huge
2: honor nice. You said he altered your DNA.
1: That's your probably DNA. true. Yes, yeah.
2: absolutely. Yeah. People should, before, should look up his work.
1: Before you had access to major studios and equipment, you used to record in uh, the men's room. I don't know where you heard that Gilbert. Yeah. Did you Yeah, <laughs> yeah they the
0: uh my my first uh, my first big recording, My Bologna, was recorded in the men's room across the hall from my college campus radio station because I you know, I was I was 19 I think at the time. I, I couldn't afford to go into a real studio and the uh the bathroom there had a very had nice, nice warm reverb sound. That bathroom wall of sound that <laughs> Phil Spector was so proud of. Um <laughs> So, so that yeah, that's why I recorded my first single, and then then uh, I sent it to Doc, to Doctor Demento. He played it on the air. It kind of became it went viral back in the days before things went viral. And oddly enough, it got back to the knack and Capitol Records, and they decided to put it out. They didn't want to re-record it. They just said, no, we don't want to spend any money on this. We're going to use the original bathroom recording. Here's your check. Have some lunch.
2: I heard you say in an interview that for, you know, with all the thrills and the highs that you've experienced in your career, that 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 feeling being on the Dr. Demento show for the first time, hearing your stuff on the radio for the first time was is is maybe the, still your biggest thrill. Or or a feeling that stays with you. All it's these hard years to beat later. that.
0: Yeah. I mean I've I've had a have had a number of pinch myself moments over the last forty years, but I mean you, you Meeting McCartney forget, for one and being oh my a God, fan. Yes. My yeah. goodness uh but yeah but i'm just the first time that happens to you uh it is such validation i mean i remember just the first time even hearing my song on the radio on local radio uh, it, it's just like every single bad <laughs> rock and roll movie you've ever seen where like they're playing my song on the radio and you go running around the house giving <laughs> your head off and you know that's that's a real thing that happens i mean i was like a you course. know 16 years old at the time and it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me and i remember when my bologna became a hit. I was, I was in college at the time. Uh, and, uh, I opened up my mail and there's a postcard from Dr. Demento saying that my bologna had been number one on the funny five for two weeks in a row. And I thought my life will never get better than this. Wow, (laughs) This is like the high point of all time.
2: (laughs) When we have musicians on the show, we just had Michelle Phillips a couple of weeks ago, and we've had Kenny Loggins here and and Richard Marks and a bunch of people. And Gilbert and I always make a point to ask, what was that feeling? Hearing your song, hearing your voice on the radio for the first time. I think it was a transformative experience for it so many cra- of them.
0: It's crazy. You know, I, I the, the first thought was that, like, oh, who who turned on my tape deck? Because I thought that I, I had accidentally, like, switched and, like, started playing my own personal tapes. And then when I realized it was, like, playing out of, like, the radio speakers and, like, other people were hearing it, uh, yeah, blew my mind.
2: And you still give him credit, Barry. All these years later, absolutely. Talk talk about what what a uh, what a gift he gave you.
0: I mean, there are a number of people you know throughout the course of my life that have done things that have influenced my career and changed my life in profound ways. But if it hadn't been for Dr. Demento, if he had never existed, I definitely, you know, would not have a career in show business, and I would be doing something, which you know, by by all. Accounts, I would not be enjoying nearly as much as my current line of work. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what I'd rather be doing right now. This is exactly you know what I enjoy doing.
2: This podcast, you mean? This podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything else is
0: just a distraction. <laughs> I understand. But it was all building up to the. I figured if I if I had a number one album, eventually Gilbert would have me on the podcast.
1: Uh-huh. It worked <laughs> out. Can can you do a Doctor Demento imitation for us? Woo! Wind up your radios.
0: I don't do invitations. No, <laughs>
2: I don't do it. I'm I also, not good at it. I loved your what was it, Jerry Hendrix? When you did Jerry, <laughs> You did Jimi Hendrix as Jerry Lewis? Yeah, we <laughs> or the other way around. I, no, yeah, yeah. I, I, I posted
0: that online, and everybody, you know, was like, "No, it's Jimi Hendrix. No, it's Jerry Hendrix." Because it's like he's, I'm singing a, a Jimi Hendrix song, sort of like halfway, like Jerry Lewis would sing it, like you know. Foxy lady,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: la la la, nice lady.
2: <laughs> Al, do you think that your singing has improved over the years? I heard you talking about, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell theory. You do something, what is it, a hundred thousand hours or some, cra- or ten thousand hours, yeah. ten thousand yeah. hours? And and I heard you. I saw a video with you doing the James Blunt song in concert. That you're pitiful, uh-huh. and you you got some pipes.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think I, I sing better now than I did, you know, when I was a teenager. Uh, and, you know, not, not that I was ever a bad singer, but I, I think, you know, you, you get more, you know, more trained and more professional as, as time goes on. And now that they have auto-tune, I sing perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> My life is brilliant. Your life's a joke. You're just pathetic. You're always broke. Your homemade Star Trek uniform Really ain't impressing me You're suffering from delusions of adequacy You're pitiful You're pitiful You're pitiful, it's true Never had a date that you could And you smell repulsive too. What a bomber be in you.
2: <laughs> we're we're going to send you some of Gilbert's greatest hits. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Him singing with Neil Sedaka and uh, and Jimmy Webb. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. This is from uh, Stan Merrill or Morell. Does Al remember? talk right into my recorder here. Does Al remember visiting the Record Archive in Rochester, New York with Dr. Demento? Probably one of his early gigs, they were appearing at the Red Creek oh, the and Red, popping yeah. by the store to find vinyl oddities. Al signed an autograph to me. Uh, he wrote an, uh, he signed on an Obscure Evangelist album, and he wrote Eat Your Broccoli. I still have the record.
0: I, I remember that specifically. I, w- I was going to say Turnips, but then I changed at the last second to broccoli. I just thought it was more appropriate the, uh, given the situation.
2: Well, I asked because you're you you've said that, and I heard you with Mark Marin, You said you're a bit of a hoarder, especially as it pertains to things that fans have sent you that have mm-hmm. sentimental value. You don't want to part with things.
0: No, exactly. I mean, and my, my wife has you know tried to cure me of that. Uh, a, a lot of stuff, you know, because I I had a storage unit, literally, fill, again, literally, but for real, literally. Uh, filled with with Beacon's Beacon's boxes of fan mail, like, I don't know, uh, three or four dozen boxes Mm -hmm, full of fan mail mm -hmm. from the 80s. And I thought, I can never throw these away because they're love letters. How can you throw away a love letter? and then my wife was like are you are you ever going to read these again are you going to be like 80 years old going through these boxes going somebody used to love me <laughs> you know the <laughs>
2: rosebud roast moment yeah and and it was
0: you know she she's she's taught me to kind of pare down and only keep a few things that are really 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 important and sentimental and and it was it was sad but you know i i i had to get rid of those boxes so, and and i still enjoy getting stuff from fans but a lot of stuff like if somebody makes me like like a you know, a a scale model of the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. I go, oh, that's nice. And now I just take a picture of it and I save the picture. And then, <laughs> you yes. know, so, so it, there's a way to keep your life somewhat uncluttered and yet of be appreciative and and you know respectful of your fans.
2: Gilbert, what about you? You've kept every fan letter along with the, the shampoo bottles.
1: Uh oh yes yeah yeah everything I steal from hotels. And <laughs> that that's where I I have like uh. I could have a whole separate apartment just for my shampoo and skin lotions that I take from hotels. He, he,
2: that has sentimental value for him, like the fan letters do, yeah. do for you.
1: I, I you know, uh,
0: that, that's when I knew it was time to go back on the road and when I ran out of soap.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast but first, a word from our sponsor. I also <laughs> wanted to
2: ask you this. Listening to the Hanson uh, parody. Uh, what is that? Lo- love? Um,
1: uh, if That Isn't uh, Love.
2: If That Isn't Love. Do you fantasize or do you do you uh, toy around with the idea? I could write a real legitimate pop song. Because that song, I know you're doing a pastiche and you like Hanson. But that, that song, to me... Uh, and also the uh, the they might be giants one is that everything you know is wrong. Yeah, uh-huh. I think those songs could stand alone as as pop. I don't know if people have pop singles anymore, but 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 well crafted pop songs. Thanks. Where it's that where it's not necessarily humorous. Do you do you uh, have you entertained that?
0: I, I I don't have any real desire to do that. I mean, I can certainly write music like instrumentals that are not funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever I try to write like sincere, heartfelt. You know, important lyrics. Uh, my my brain kind of short circuits. I mean, I'm not wired to do that. It could like, be something I,
2: like "Um Bop." It doesn't have to be anything that deep.
0: I, I guess, but yeah. it You know, there's unless, a lot of
2: craft in that writing, is what I mean to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I I you know I I like to write a, a very specific way, uh, like Portugal the Man. My my friends, I I I, I uh, sang uh, on their last single, mm-hmm. um, and I was talking to John Gorley, who, who's the lead singer, and he wanted me to try to write a bridge for a a song on the new album. And I was like, well, I'm not really, I don't really do serious music so much. And, and he wanted me to give it a shot. And, and I tried, I I wrote, I wrote some lyrics and man, it just went against my DNA just to write something that was just like, not funny. Just like, just how interesting sincere thing. And it was like, oh man, that is like not who I am. And I, I I came up with something. I I doubt he'll ever use it. I don't think it's ever going to see the light of day, but, but it, it just, it's not my, forte or fort as george carlin would correct me <laughs>
2: what, what what about a stage musical what about something like spamalot or avenue q a, uh, a, a fun a funny i, I, w- stage I wouldn't
0: music. mind going broadway's opening in september i'll
1: buy a ticket sure and have you ever gotten a word from a you know a musician who didn't like one of your parodies not
0: really cuz like i said i do get their permission ahead of time um there was a little bit of a kerfuffle with coolio back back uh, when that uh in the late 90s and but he's he's fine now. You now I I've got a pretty good track record of, of uh of artists uh liking what I do and and like like you brought up Frank it's it's a lot of them consider it uh, an honor when I do did the song cuz it's a sign of great you got your Grammy
2: and your uh, and your people's choice award and your weird Al parody. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. You and Coolio buried the hatchet?
0: Yeah, he's totally cool. he, he came up to me uh in Las Vegas at some kind of um trade show I forget exactly Las Vegas I think it was and it was a little scary for a second because you know I I'd heard there was some bad blood or he there was some beef with me and he just you know he was offended by Amish Paradise and uh, there was a rumor going around of Coolio's in the building Coolio's he's he's like a hundred feet away from me. He's, he's coming towards me. Like, oh no. <laughs> Do I need to duck? And he, he, he came over and he, he gave me a big hug and, and, uh, he signed his name on one of my autograph pictures and, and he was very cool about it. So he, he's, he's gone on record as saying that he, he overreacted when that all came out, came about. And the whole thing was just misinformation. I don't know who told who, what, but, um, my, my record label told me he was fine with it. He claims that he never approved it. Uh, but again, it's water under the bridge and everything's fine now.
2: It's funny because there are a lot of celebrities angry at Gilbert for, for, for spoofing <laughs> for them over the years. What? <laughs> Gilbert! Gilbert! <laughs> What did you do? Would, would Mr. Seinfeld be on that list, Gilbert? <laughs> what is this story before... as as, Why? We, as as we wind down, what is this naked gun story that you used to take dates to... Uh, <laughs> I'm going I'm to embarrass you now. Oh,
0: man, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, in, back in my single days... Uh, this had been the late 80s when uh, the first Naked Gun movie came out. And uh, I, I was dating a lot, and I, w- I went on a lot of first dates. And I, I, I saw the movie a number of times because my favorite kind of prank to pull was I'd, I'd uh, invite uh, a woman out on a, a date, and I'd say, Hey, you we'll see a movie. You want to see Naked Gun? And not knowing that I, it's not advertised that I meant it or anything, uh, it's just a random cameo. And I would wear the same shirt uh, that I'm wearing in the movie. And I, I take him to the movie, <laughs> and like an hour into the movie, you see me walking off the plane, and like Leslie listen, listen, <laughs> Nielsen is <laughs> saying, doing the whole bit about, uh, you know, and you, you know. What do what, what you leave me alone? Like, I stop hounding me. And and George Kennedy says, They're not here for you, Frank. Uh, Weird owls on the plane. And you see me walking off the airplane, people going nuts. And I'm wearing the same shirt on the plane that I'm wearing in the theater next to my date. And she actually would do a double take, like, <laughs> What's going on here? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and usually there wasn't a second date, but it, it amused me. <laughs>
2: Do you know the actor Bob Balaban? You must know him. Sure, sure. Yeah, he used to take... His family built movie theaters in Chicago, and as a teenager, he would take dates there so they could see his name carved into the walls of the theater. Nice. Similar. (laughs) Gilbert, have you ever done that? Come clean. Have you ever used... In the old days, in your single days, pre-Dara, did you ever uh, bring a woman to a problem child, too? (laughs) Or... (laughs) Or... uh, (laughs) Or... Oh. Or well, try I, to use I, your I, fame for certain ill-gotten gains.
1: I I advise every guy out there if you want to get laid, take the girl to see Problem Child two.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> the one sheet calls it a panty dropper.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, this? Is an interesting question from our last one from a from a listener, Richard Hausman. How is Al perceived by traditional polka musicians?
0: Ah, oh, well, I, I couldn't. Or tell traditional you. I mean, accordionists. Um, yeah, I I um, I, I've I, you know I certainly met uh, Frank Yankovic, uh, no relation, but I mean right. we were good friends uh, during the course of his you know the later part of his life. I I've met Walter Osteneck from uh, Canada. Um, so the ones that I've met to my face uh, they were very nice and calm i mean what what i, what I, do, what I do when i do polka medleys it's not it's not really pure polka it's sort of like a mix of polka and spike jones it, it really owes as much to spike as polka music but you know it's all done in good fun uh, so I, what was you that know, guy Jimmy
2: Stir that was Jimmy around Stirr, years ago? yeah,
0: who won like two thousand Grammys. I worked you know, with him
2: on a, on, a, <laughs> on a strange corporate gig. Yeah,
0: every single year Jimmy Stir would win a Grammy. Yeah.
2: yeah, but you're you're the most famous accordion player uh, the, the, and the most famous polka player of of all time. So you have what? to be you you have to be a bit of a hero to these people, aren't you? I,
0: I well I, I you know I, again the few that I've met uh, seem to like me. Uh, I I haven't been. Deep in the 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 bowels and the recesses of the polka community, so I don't know if they feel like I'm not being respectful enough or whatever. I like to th- I'd like to think they get a kick out of it, and the fact that I'm I'm uh, bringing sexy back to the accordion means something to them.
2: <laughs> what what's happening with this Tiny Tim documentary that you narrated? It's uh, I, guess, I I find it refreshing that you're a Tiny Tim fan.
0: Yeah, absolutely, like us. Uh, yeah, that's uh, King for a Day. It's uh, I th- I think it's coming out in theaters. You probably know this more than I do. Uh, soon, if not if not already. But well, it's, they said it's, April,
2: but I guess you know all bets are off now.
0: Right. Yeah. April twenty
2: third. Um, it was supposed to be.
0: Yeah. So, Sometimes it's it's going to leak out at some point. Uh, but yeah, I, I was asked to uh to. Uh, I, I guess narrator is what I did. I, I basically was reading excerpts from, from Tiny Tim's diary, and I wasn't imitating Tiny Tim. Uh, it, I didn't do it as a goof, because his diary is, uh, again, very kind of earnest and heartfelt, yeah. and you kind of really get a, a glimpse into, you know, into how his mind works. So it's, just, it's kind of a serious uh, you know, recitation of, of Tiny Tim's diary.
2: Another guy like Alan Sherman that burned brightly. For, Very for a while, so. and then and and then had a fall.
0: Made some made some bad decisions, and yet yeah, again, sort of a cautionary tale.
2: Yeah. Uh, this is I lied. This is the last one I'm going to ask okay. from uh, <laughs> from Mark Scoback. Does Al have a favorite Alan Sherman or Tom Lehrer song? Do you have your old vinyl, or did your wife make you throw those out too?
0: You know, most. You know, there's a few. I, th- I think I've got my Tom Lehrer 10 inch that I bought at some used store. I I, I got rid of most of my vinyl on my wife's suggestion. She's like. You've got the CDs, or you've got it digitally. Why do you need the vinyl? Like you're right, honey. Okay, um, but yeah, the the what was the question regarding oh, uh,
2: Taylor? Uh, favorite Lehrer or favorite Sherman?
0: Oh, you know, I, I don't really have a favorite one. If 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 you're going Lehrer, I I might say the Element song just because it's great. One. I I memorized that and I've I've done it in concert once or twice. Uh, so that that was a fun one to do. And Alan Sherman, yeah, I mean just this whole. So Ouvra. many. Yeah, so many. There's
2: a great, uh, I'll direct, Alan Sherman fans, I'll direct to, uh, on YouTube, uh, Jason Alexander does a wonderful cover version of Shake Hands with Your Uncle Max. Oh, nice. Yeah, which he did for some Broadway album. Should Gilbert make a comedy album?
0: <laughs>
2: In your opinion? <laughs> as, as opposed to what, like a cake? Well, well, you hit number one. We're 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 trying to find new directions and new challenges for the guy. You 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 were the first person in what fifty years to hit number one with a comedy album. Yeah, should Gilbert has a a, a, he has a great wealth of material. Should he attempt something like that?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think. What is the state of comedy albums these days? And and that like you know most people would do like a like a you know HBO special or a Netflix special, uh, and then that special becomes the album. You know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't. There, there aren't a lot of. I'm trying to think. There aren't a lot of comedy albums. I think that are just pure comedy albums these days. So, for, for especially for standup. So, I don't.
1: I don't. I'm mean, if you want to do it, Gilbert, please. Yeah. Don't let me stop I, you. But I don't know what. Well, I remember one time some company was going to do a comedy album with me, and of course the company closed up. <laughs> as soon as you it's said, "Yeah, Weird Al Show." <laughs> For <laughs> I, I, uh, but um. Well, you did the something... dirty
2: Joke CD. You did that. Yeah. Yeah. That
1: counts? But there It was actually an out. Al- yeah. That I'm one, talking I about actually... like the old
2: Newhart. Well, I'm talking about like you know in you know in front of an audience, the classic ones in a club, with a with a live audience.
1: Yeah. But you know something. I there's something very weird when I list whenever I've listened to comedy albums, I've listened to a bunch and. There's something depressing about listening to a comedy album for me. Oh, really? Yeah. That's an odd reaction. <laughs> yeah. But not Al's <laughs> records.
0: <laughs> <You> know, when, <laughs> when, when I go to a funeral, I laugh my head off. So maybe there's something,
1: maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Uh, oh, the, the record label, I think, was Qantas or something like that's, that. That's an airline. That's an airline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But something That's like that. That's why they went out of and, business.
0: They, yeah, they, were, and, they weren't and, set up for comedy and, albums.
1: And I remember they did like a major thing. They were talking, major talking, and smoke up the ass, and then they closed. <laughs> so. Gil, Gil,
2: you might have to write new material, though.
1: <laughs> oh, forget it. Yeah. If it involves effort, you know. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> Oh, no, right. I think I think my bonanza bit works just as well. Now. <laughs> Fresh as this morning's
2: headlines. He's wondering why people aren't getting the Hop Sing references in 2000 and <laughs> 2021. Did you? Did, this is the last question I have. What? I, I, I got a million cards. This is I, the
0: penultimate question I can tell. Yes, yeah,
2: the penultimate. I was going to ask you about that Don McLean thing, which I find. Uh, which is fascinating. Well, tell tell people that because that is funny. That 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 he's that he's mistaking your lyrics for his when he's doing.
0: Well, well you know, people have gotten this story a little bit twisted. People have said that that. Do uh, I have it wrong? That he. That, well, it, there's some truth to it that, that Um, people are saying like uh, sometimes Don McLean will start singing songs about the Jedi's in in concert and they'll start singing Al's song. I don't believe that's ever happened. But he he told me that because his his kids were fans. Uh, fans of uh, the saga that begins, which is my my version of American Pie, he says he heard that around the house so much that now sometimes when he's doing his song, like my lyrics will start to like float around in his brain and it, it you know, it'll just kind of cloud <laughs> his memory a little bit. I don't think he's ever actually messed up or sang the wrong words, but he just says it gets into his head. <laughs> Print the legend.
1: Yeah, there you go. I'm go not going it. to say it's wrong.
2: Go with it. Gil, anything else you want to uh, berate this man about? I, yeah.
1: Uh, you do song parodies, right? <laughs> you, you do ill-timed tsunami jokes, right?
2: Uh, are there well-timed tsunami jokes? <laughs> Time means everything. <laughs> <laughs> don't record that album in japan Gil, but that, yeah, yeah. album. But we, we could do a whole other episode with you just asking about your japanese experiences oh my goodness really yeah. funny uh, detailed in this wonderful book by you and nathan which we'll plug at the end all right Gil, we have more to do so we're going to thank some people before you sign off uh we'll thank al we'll thank al's manager jay levy We'll thank Amanda Cohen, Jordan Dempsey from uh, Nowhere Comedy, and Jen Saunderson, and Andrew, and Molly, and and uh, Yasmine. Nathan Rabin, your longtime, uh, this book is hilarious, and we want to plug it, Weird Al, we're in a video and an audio medium, Weird Al, the book by Nathan, and the weird accordion to Al. I told you it took me a week to get that joke. Of, of that title. And he's and doing a col-
0: Nathan's doing a coloring book now too. He's doing a Kickstarter for a coloring book called he is. the weird the weird a coloring to al.
2: Oh my god. Sorry. All right, let's let's <laughs> plug <laughs> That's happening too. Let's plug Nathan's coloring book about Weird Al. I want to thank Krista Rose and Eddie Schmidt for their wonderfully obscure research and our team Greg Pear Aristotle Acevedo John Murray, John Seals, Josh Chambers, uh Dino Preserpio, the late great Mike McPadden, we love you Rachel. I am not going to thank you Gilbert <laughs> I will thank. My lights oh, thank are going you, out here. It's a bad Thank time. you,
0: Gilbert. <laughs> thank
2: you. Do you forgive Gilbert for ruining your your Saturday morning show, Al?
0: You know, it, it ran its course already. I was like, might as well have Gilbert on.
2: <laughs> we love Eddie Deason was on that show. Oh, but the guy know. boarded up
0: in the wall. Yeah, a guy on we camera. adore.
2: Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. We'll tell people they're on YouTube and also you. Did what? Did you put them on on Blu-ray? Uh, I, a box. I, I don't think it. Ever,
0: I think it was, I think it was DVD. I think yeah, it was they're, right they're before really, was the Blu-ray. They're yeah. really
2: good and smart, and it was a show ahead of its time. And you were completely committed to the comedy. It was, As, you know,
0: it, it had its moments. It, <laughs> we could do another whole show on, on the right now show, but yeah.
2: And someday we will. Thanks yeah. for coming back and My pleasure. Us. So fun. And what do you think, Gil? Do you have any <laughs> gratitude at all, yes. Gilbert?
1: Uh, yes, yes. Thank you, whoever. <laughs> His sincerity just is dripping.
2: <laughs> Al, thanks for putting up with us twice. Not once, but twice. Thanks, thanks guys. And, and bless Al Jaffe, who's 100. Yes. Happy speaking, birthday, Al. Speaking of mad, a giant walks among us.
1: All right, Gil. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, And we're lucky enough to have a guest who took time off from the Nuremberg trial uh, to be here with us. We're Al Yankovic.
2: Thank you, Al. Thank you, Thank you fans. We love you guys.